Welcome again to Marin Covenant Church. My name is Ben Kearns. I'm one of the pastors here on staff, and we're right in the middle of our Big Rocks um, sermon series. And this morning's rock is the rock of calling that each and every one of us have been called by God to be used by him, to be an important and invaluable part of the body of Christ. And if you're trying to figure out what your calling is, your calling is the center of the Venn diagram. If you think of the unique gifts and talents that God has given you through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, you think of your unique passions that God has given you, and then the actual place that God has put you in this moment, in this county, in this church, in this family. The center of all those things, that is your unique calling. And we as a church want everyone to come, not only to encounter Christ, to experience his grace and mercy, but to re realize that you have been called by God to be an invaluable part of the body of Christ, to own your calling and to serve alongside your sisters and brothers so that we get to do the ministry that God has called us. That is our hope for every single person in the church, um, in and out of the church. Now, that's what we long for everybody. There is this unique thing that happens in the church, though. As we think of calling, there are people who are uniquely called by God to serve the church. And one of my favorite things about Marin Covenant is that we as a church, our leadership team, our staff structure, you as a body, have built this generosity to make sure that people are seen and equipped and empowered for ministry. And sometimes that equipping for ministry means a change in calling, a change in job, a change in anything. And you've allowed space for that to happen to everybody. I mean, Jeff and I, we came here, you know, 15, 17 years ago as different, not lead pastors, but associate pastors called for a very specific niche. And as God grew and changed our callings, that was affirmed by the leadership team, by you, and we get to be lead pastors. Well, that actual journey, is sim that similar journey has happened to both Michael Hill and to Shelley Zulsdorf. They were both hired as directors. Michael hired as the director of music, uh, worship experience. Shelley hired as the director of student ministry. And as they've been growing in their calling and they've been serving our church so faithfully, we um, as lead pastors, as our leadership team, uh, have affirmed that not only are they called to just crush their job in their lane, but that they are actually called, we think, by God to serve our church, the larger church, as called pastors. And, uh, and this is an incredible um, acknowledgement. It's a huge affirmation. We are so thrilled. This has been a year and a half in the making or so. And, uh, and what we're basically putting before you is we're inviting you as a congregation to affirm their calling to not just someone who serves in the worship team, someone who serves in student ministry, but people who are called pastors, people that are going to be part of the shepherding body of this church that are going to lead us as a church towards Christ. And the way that happens is there's a, there's a church, there's a formal process where that, where that happens, but we don't just get to say, hey, you're a pastor, and away you go, there's a process. And so, like I said, for the last year and a half, um, Jeff and I and the leadership team have been discerning this process. We invited Shelly and Michael to be part of our pastoral team this last year. So their job, they've been leaning into this new version of their job. And uh, two months ago, our leadership team voted unanimously, um, acting as a search committee, to put forward both Michael Hill and Shelley Zulsdorf as associate pastors to you, our congregation. I know. So right now, you get to applaud, which is super great. But to make this official official, um, on June 5th is our business meeting. And that's where we, as a congregation, we get to vote and to affirm them um, as called pastors. And so this morning, we get to um, invite them up, and they're going to share their testimonies. This is kind of like their candidating ser uh, sermon. And we get to hear from them. You're going to be blown away 
at what God has done in them, what God is doing in them, um, and what God has to use them for in our church. I, you are going to be just blown away. I'm not even overselling it because uh, it was so great. And uh, so with that, let's give a warm welcome to both Michael and Shelly. I'm going to Shelly's going to preach first and then Michael, but let's just <laughs> celebrate them and welcome them. Oh, I am. Thanks, Ben. Oh, man, this has been a super emotional week. Um, so bear with Michael and I. We graduated seminary last week alongside Danny and Ben. Yeah. And it, it's like you think you would graduate and be like, oh, but there's so much emotions that come into that. And this morning, Michael and I get the joys of sharing our calling to pastoral ministry, but we only have 15 minutes. And this is years of wrestling years of praying, and so 15 minutes is not enough time for us to tell you the whole story. So we're both going to give you snapshots of sort of what God has been doing in our life. And for me, the last eight years I've been serving in the church, in student ministry, um, and it has been a joy. But I would be lying if I didn't tell you that it has a big, been a big wrestle for me. It has been a big wrestle for me to really sit with, do I want to do ministry in a church? Because when you walk alongside people, it's messy. When you walk alongside people, it's not always the easiest thing. And when I think about what I've experienced with serving in different churches, and is I've noticed that walking alongside people is both messy and beautiful. It's both celebratory and mournful with grief and it's also joyfully surprising and also equally disappointing. And so I walked through this roller coaster in the last eight years, and there's been so many moments that I've just wanted to throw in the towel. So many moments of where I've been disappointed because I, my first place that I served was this really messy church. And the next place I went, it was a little bit better, and it was super incredible and great, but I still was like, ah, oh, I want it to be better or more perfect. But that's not the reality when you come alongside people. Because, and honestly, when you come alongside people, sometimes when you're so invested, it can feel too hard. The hard feels too hard. And the call can feel too heavy. And the disappointment sometimes just feel like, gosh, what are you doing, God, in our world right now? And so, and I know you're probably like, well, should she be a pastor? I don't know. Um, <laughs> but here's the thing. I think wrestling is so good because wrestling gets you to this deeper place of knowing God's heart for the world. And, and we're all human and we're all broken. And we're also, of course, wrestling, I think, is just the beauty of being human, trying to follow God's call. And so I have no shame in saying that I've wrestled with this over the last eight years. Because in that wrestling, God has continued to draw me deeper and deeper into his, his mission for the world, but also that he was calling me to continue to serve. And one of the verses that God has used is 2 Corinthians 5. Uh, 14 through 20. And here's what this says. This verse, along with so many others, but I can only really choose one, was so encouraging for me in, in my call. It says, For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So now, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. 
Though we were once regarded, though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he was committed to us, he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. And I just love that he's committed to us this ministry of reconciliation. And that's not just a pastoral call. That's a call on every single one of us. And uniquely in my story, when I started, I affirmed my faith and I surrendered to the Lord. I was a junior in high school and I remember sitting in my bed and I was like, okay, Jesus, I'm all in. If you are real, then I am all in. And I felt peace overwhelm me. And in that moment, I felt God firmly press on my heart to serve him in vocational ministry. I had to serve him wholeheartedly the rest of my life to serve his church, to serve his people so that they could go out and serve the world as well. And verse 15 is so significant to me because it says, and he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. And when I think of this calling that God was putting on my life, it was saying, gosh, I'm surrendering to my resurrected savior. And in that, I'm now gonna look towards him and what he wants me to do. I'm now gonna look towards him and his mission and his love for the world. And I'm gonna follow that on wherever he takes me. And if in my life, that calling was to serve his church that he presses so firmly on me. And so a life of faith for any of us is looking towards the Lord. It's looking towards him and saying, okay, where is it you want me to serve? How do you want me to serve? And yet we're still humans, and so I think it's totally normal to struggle and to wrestle with that and to ask God questions and to doubt and to wonder why. And that's part of a lot of my path was wondering, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I can do this, Jesus. And, and in that moment, um, the biggest encouragement to me was I have an Auntie Jeannie, uh, my Auntie Jeannie, I should say. Um, she's my great aunt. Um, we call aunties our great aunt's auntie. My auntie Jeannie, she is a nun. Um, She's 88 years old and she has been serving the Lord for 70 years, since she was 18 years old. And she has been one of the biggest encouragements to me in my life when I'm struggling or doubting or wondering, gosh, what am I doing? And, And a couple years ago, before COVID, she came out And she visited on a weekend when I was preaching because she said, I don't want to watch it on a video anymore. I want to be there and I want to encourage you. And um, she came out, she listened to my sermon. We then hung out the rest of the afternoon together. And I looked at her and I said, what do you do when it feels too hard? When you want to throw in the towel, when you're just not sure if you can do this anymore. And she looked at me And she said, I want to tell you a story of when I was 18 years old. And before she had taken her vows as a nun, before she had said yes to being a sister, you go through this sort of call process in the Catholic Church. And um, her superior, Mother Superior, which is the head nun um, in the convent, um, my Aunt Eugenie was really wrestling with it. And she sort of got on her a little bit and was like, you know, I need you to go take a walk, go down to the seminary, go process with the Lord why you want to do this, why you're even here. 
And for her, she was really struggling. She didn't really know. And as she was walking down, and we're very similar. We're like, oh, I'm going to wrestle with the Lord. As she's walking down, she runs into her sponsor, which the sponsor is just an, an older nun that comes alongside the, the women that are deciding if they want to take this call. And she was sort of her, her guide, the person that was a safe person to process. And she ran into her, and she asked her, what? What is going on? And she explained to her this wrestling that she was having, whether how she was struggling with if she should do this or not. And her sponsor sent, said to her, who sent you here? Who sent you here? And she said, did you send yourself here? And my auntie Jeannie said, no, I believe God sent me here. And her, and her sponsor said back to you, then why are you letting any human beings bother you? And in that moment, she walked back up the hill, and she was all in to take her vows to serve the Lord for 70 years and to serve the Lord wherever he would take her. And she served in Connecticut and Texas. She served alongside people that were dying for over a decade and cared for them. And in those hard moments, and she looked at me and she said, there will be hard days and trying days. She said, even after 70 years of serving the Lord, I still have days when I go, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? And she goes, in those moments, she remembers that God has called her to this, that God wants to use her in this way. And he said, and she, she just remembers and leans into knowing that God chose her for this purpose as his ambassador. And to me, that was so powerful of a story, and that was such an encouragement to me because it reminded me, gosh, who sent me here? It's not me, but God's called me. He's put this on my heart to serve him. And this is the calling that he's placed on my heart is to serve the church, but especially to serve students. Gosh, I love our students. And verse 20 says to be an ambassador of Christ and we, to participate in the ministry of reconciliation. And when I look at my story and I look at what God has done in my life, I had people that said yes to be ministers of reconciliation, to be ambassadors of Christ when I was a teen. And they prayed for me. They walked alongside me as I was a teenager doing what I want, stubborn, the chaos and the roller coaster of all the moods that come. And they were faithful to Jesus and faithful to pursuing me and caring for me and loving me and walking alongside me so that one day, I could know the hope of the gospel. And I experienced God's love through their faithfulness. And I feel like God's like that. I want you to continue that, to also be committed to that. And so today in this season, gosh, I just, I feel called to care for our students. I love them. I want to walk alongside them with our team. And we have incredible volunteers that I love empowering because they pour their lives out every week. And it is a joy to serve alongside them, to build them up, to encourage them to continue to also be ministers of reconciliation. And so it's my passion to walk along 6th through 12th graders, to see the big picture, to see that God is working among all the chaos that's happening, all the joys that's happening. It is my joy to get to be a witness and to walk alongside what God is doing. And it, my heart breaks for them my heart longs for them to know the hope of the gospel. And my prayer, when I think of student ministry, is my prayer is I'm living into the hope that today 
Jesus can transform their lives, that today Jesus can do something new in their lives, but I also am living into the hope that God is going to pursue them the rest of their life, that God is going to walk alongside them and show them how much he loves them. And he is going to chase after them, and he's in it for the long haul. And so I have a prayer that's here now and a prayer that's saying, Jesus, I trust you with their lives. And I feel like my calling is just simply to be an ambassador of Christ in that process. And so here's my encouragement to you as we're talking about this big rocks and the important things that our church is running after and what we want to encourage you to run after is I want to also encourage you to wrestle with your giftings and callings because I truly believe that they are indispensable. They are invaluable. They are needed. God wants to use them. And while my unique calling is this vocational pastoral ministry, God is placing a calling on each of your hearts. And it may take a while to wrestle through that and go back and forth with God to figure out what is that? What does that mean? But here's the thing. Following Jesus is no longer living for ourselves, but it's surrendering to Jesus and saying, okay, I'm going to be your ambassador. You lead the way. And one of my favorite books is called Calling, a Song for Baptism by Carolyn Westerhoff. And I love this book because it talks about the implications of our baptism and the baptismal vows that we take. That when we're proclaiming to the church, like, yes, I want to live for Christ, we take these vows. And these vows push us toward God's calling of being engaged in the ministry of reconciliation. And what I love is one of the things that she says is there aren't, there are not two things, not two things in creation are alike. Not two things in creation are alike. And we look at twins, and we can go on the surface level, and we look at twins and we go, but they're identical, right? On the surface level, and we do this even with our giftings and callings, like, oh, that person already has that. Or we compare, or we don't think that we're needed because we look at others and what their giftings and callings are. But even identical twins are not identical. God is so creative that even on the surface, when we think something is identical, he goes, no, I still made them different. Because God cares about diversity. God loves diversity. And so with twins, there's still subtle differences. There's facial features or there's personality differences or passions that are different. They are still two different people. And I love what Westerhoff explains that diversity in our world and not two things being the same shows that there is no substitution for anyone on this earth. No substitution your values, who you are, where you are, where you're serving is so valuable to God. Your giftings are indispensable. He wants to use all of that. And he's calling you in different places to love and serve the world while you're loving and serving him. So while Michael and I have been wrestling through this calling, he, we are encouraging you as well because you are just as valuable to the ministry of reconciliation. You are just as significant. There's no substitution for you, who God has called you to be, and what he wants to do in and through you. And so we get to be together ministry, ministers of reconciliation, and to me, that is such good news. And I'm going to invite Michael up, and he's going to share, and I'm actually going to pray for us, and he's going to come up while I'm, while I'm praying, because I just want to just take a moment for you to sit with that, that you are just as valuable, your giftings and callings are indispensable to God. So let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you that your love compels us to no longer live for ourselves, but for you who has made us a new creation. Remind us today with how you have sent us. 
Remind us today how each of us are uniquely gifted and called by you and how you view each of us as indispensable. So Lord, may we wrestle with our purpose so that we may be empowered by the Holy Spirit to be your ambassadors of reconciliation. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Shelley. Can I share with you all my story about uh, how I've come to discern my calling and my purpose and how I've realized that my life story is completely inseparable from my calling, my purpose? Is that okay? We kind of couch it that way? Awesome. Well, let's see. Let's have you open your Bible devices to Matthew chapter 10. And um, I want to tell you the story about why Matthew 10.39 is my life verse, as we like to, to call it. Does anybody here have a life verse? Nobody. Okay, perfect. Uh, I saw a couple hands. Uh, 10, Matthew 10.39 is my life verse. And, um, you know, here in chapter 10, we see that Jesus has called his disciples together because he's about to send them out on a life-changing journey. And in the chapters leading up to this, in chapters 8 and chapter 9, uh, Jesus and his disciples were traveling around to the various regions of Galilee, and Jesus was preaching the good news, and, uh, and he was performing these miraculous uh, you know, uh, signs and wonders to, to show that the kingdom of God was at hand, so that people would see that God was, was at hand. And, uh, and he, they do this for a while, and then Jesus one day kind of get the sense that he's like a little worn out. And he turns to them and he says, guess what, you guys? The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. It's time for you guys to do this work. And they probably were like, what? Um, but he says, you know, for the first time, I'm going to send you out and you are going to preach the good news um, on this first missionary journey. But the, the real big thing is here at the beginning of chapter 10, he tells them that they are the ones who are going to be performing these miraculous signs and wonders. And he gives them his spiritual authority to accomplish this. And if, if I was an apostle, I would have been completely blown away. Because the Holy Spirit hadn't, uh, you know, the day of Pentecost had not happened yet. We're not to that point yet where God is alive, is, is inside of us. And so he gave them his spiritual authority to do this. And then after all of that preparation for their mission, he gave them some challenging news here in chapter 10. And he says that along with accomplishing these amazing works, there are going to be losses as well, both for the disciples themselves, but also for those that they're going to go preach the good news to. And, you know, these are the guys that had already given up so much when Jesus came to them and said, follow after me. Remember those, you know, the various stories from the gospel, they just dropped what they were doing and they left their uh, you know, they, they were no longer in the company of their families. They left their careers. They left their homes. They just followed after him, and they had given up so much. And Jesus is telling them that they are about to go out and preach the good news and essentially ask that of the, uh, those who hear the good news and believe. And here in verses 34 through 39, he makes a statement that I imagine when the uh, disciples heard this, they must have gone quiet because it's... It's a pretty sobering thing what he says. He says, do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. And if you just uh, time out for one second, this isn't a battle cry. This isn't, you know, anyone who, who's like, yeah, let's go get after this. For, uh, let's be combative for the sake of the gospel. That's not what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about a holy uh, division 
that happens between those who believe and those who do not. And the reason we know that is because he's about to quote from uh, the book of Micah in the book of the prophets. And Jesus says, For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or their daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. And now, you know, when Jesus says that he didn't come to bring peace on the earth, obviously Jesus is the, is the prince of peace. And, you know, peace is the whole, long, peace on earth in, in, in God's kingdom is the long game of God and Jesus' gospel. So, uh, you know, what he's doing here is he's being rhetorical and, uh, you know, and also his desire is not to separate families. Obviously, that's not in Jesus' heart. But in quoting Micah 7, verse, uh, Micah 7, verse 6, Jesus is referencing God's mishpat. Mishpat is this Hebrew word for God's holy separation, his delineation and, and, and uh, the division that God sees between those who respond to God's uh, redemptive love story and those who won't. And this is an important distinction that Jesus needs the disciples to know because he needs them to know that he did not come to the earth so that everyone could go about their business as usual and not be transformed more and more by God into God's image and for his purpose. Rather, Jesus was always intended to be a disruption in the world. He was intended to be a disruption for lost and wandering and unrepentant Israel and in Referencing the, the prophet Micah, he's talking about this disruption that occurs in the lives of those who choose to follow God's way and those who won't. And his last sentence here really drives it home. Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. And this is Jesus' clever way of saying, if we truly want to find ourselves, we have to be willing, you guys, to give everything up for his sake. And this passage, especially verse 39, my life verse was uh, pivotal for me in discerning my calling because when I, was, when I first heard this preached, I was 23 years old. I was serving in high school ministry in, um, in the, the church where I had found the Lord. And I was a relatively new believer. And so this was a season when God's word was just really coming alive to me. And I was beginning to really catch the, the, the vision of what it meant to be part of God's kingdom. And I remember... Uh, one night in serving on this high school ministry team, and when the pastor, youth pastor would get up to speak to the kids, I just was like, I mean, I just, I, I wanted to, to learn more. And, um, and Pastor Ken Sheets, I remember wacky Pastor Ken Sheets, the youth pastor, he's, he's leading the kids through this passage. And uh, when he got to verse 39, whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Uh, excuse me, whoever loses their life Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. And when I heard that, it was like something just went off inside of me because I'd already had a little bit of a glimpse of what he was talking about, and, uh, and I recognized that in this verse. Because just before, a few years before, just before my 20th birthday, I had suffered a 
pretty huge loss when I decided to follow Jesus. Uh, and I wish I had time to tell you the whole story. This is going to be like my whole life story on a postage stamp, but here it is. Uh, essentially, the gist is that when I grew up, I, I, was, I was raised in a religious sect um, that, although it appeared to be Christian on the outside, um, its actual doctrines and teachings were completely incongruent with the gospel and the words of Jesus that we know from our New Testament. And over time, again, fast track through the story, over time, when I finally became convinced that the Jesus that I was encountering in the Bible, in the New Testament, was indeed the Christ, the Messiah, the way, the truth, and the life, when I came to this realization I had to leave my faith of origin. <laughs> and it, gosh darn it. <laughs> and in doing that, I lost everything that I knew up to that point. It's gathering so much harder because my kids are here. <laughs> uh, I lost everything that I knew up to that point. I lost the familiarity of the culture that I knew. Since my birth, uh, I lost the familiarity of, uh, you know, my, almost all of my friends. But the hardest part was that my relationship with my family changed. And it and it's remains unchanged today, over 30 years ago. And although I was obviously overjoyed to find this new, abundant, free uh, life in Jesus that begins right now and will continue throughout all eternity in finding my new identity as one who had been redeemed by the love of Christ. You guys, my life was disrupted. Does anybody resonate with that story at all? And so on that night when Pastor Ken Sheets asked his students at youth group, would you be willing to lose everything for Jesus' sake in order to find who you truly are in the kingdom? Gosh darn it. I had a glimpse of what he was referring to already, and I wanted to know my place in the kingdom. So I was like, ah, I've come this far. <laughs> so I'm going to go chips all in, and I'm going to say, yes, Jesus, I'll be willing to, to lose everything. And I had no idea what I was saying, <laughs> right? <sighs> but you guys... Uh, you know, this sermon is not about loss. It's not about, uh, you know, hey, everyone, get ready to follow Jesus and, and lose everything. That's not what I'm saying. Because the whole point of this is about gaining our new identities and who we are. When, when we do that, we are, uh, when we're fully surrendered to God's purpose for us, um, you know, losses and those kinds of things, they're just going to happen. It's just part of life. But in retrospect, it wasn't until I had made my peace with the Lord that I was willing to lose myself for his purpose. It was only then be that I began to realize my own purpose and calling, which is rooted in my own unique gifting uh, that God has given me. And this is why I think that uh, when I think of my calling um, that's been placed on my life, I will always remember Matthew 10, 39. That was the catalyst for me in hearing Jesus call to search out my purpose uh, in God's kingdom. So, you know, I had always been a musician all my life and uh, was a music major in college and uh, at the time that I met the Lord. And so as soon as I was active in God's church, I found myself participating in, in worship ministry. And since 1989, I've always been involved in worship ministry in some capacity 
or another. Um, but for the longest time, although I knew that my, you know, this is a talent that I have, it's a skill, it's an ability, uh, but I couldn't help but wonder if that beyond that, God had an even deeper calling for me where God would utilize my spiritual gifts as a shepherd, as a pastor. And man, I wrestled and wrangled with this for, uh, you know, what are my spiritual gifts? What is my calling for many years? And I'm talking about like decades worth of years. So if you are saying, oh, I'm still looking for my calling and it's been years and years, keep going, keep going, don't give up. Uh, so that was for the longest time. And during that process, I was actively engaged in the, the ministry that I'm going to continue to, to uh, be engaged with as a pastor. So let the record show that God can use you right now in what you're doing. And there's no reason to wait around to, you know, till you have this uh, revelation to jump in and, and just do, uh, you know, do what you're talented and creative to do in God's kingdom. But in terms of spiritual gifting and calling, I would have to say the activation moment of my pastoral calling for ministry uh, began to occur in 2012, just 10 years ago. Because, you know, I, like I said, I've been using my talents and my abilities for music worship leading, and, uh, you know, I was seeking out whether or not I was being called into pastoral ministry. And to be honest, what was really holding me back was that I didn't know where I would fit in pastoral ministry. Um, you know, all I know is being a worship leader and a, and a musician called by God, but how does that translate into pastoral ministry? And through my seminary journey, uh, I was able to find some discernment in that. But back in 2012, what, what uh, kicked this off for me was I was helping to lead worship at a conference, uh, a national conference for our denomination, the Evangelical Covenant Church. And one evening, as we were, um, the worship team, we were standing backstage and we were waiting for the gathering to begin. And I had my guitar with me and, you know, we're just kind of standing around waiting. And I was talking with Professor Jeff Tweed, this very elegant, gentle, um, uh, British man of distinction um, who was a, a professor of liturgical worship. And he was asking me, um, he was also on that worship team, and he was asking me if I had felt any call to pastoral ministry. And I was like, you know, I don't know if I have what it takes. Like Shelly said, I don't know if I have what it takes to be a pastor. Uh, you know, I don't know where I would fit in with that, blah, blah, blah. And so Jeff is, he's listening to me. He's just standing there quietly listening to me going on. And then when I was done, he said, do you know that when, and I, like I said before, when he had a, he has a British accent, so it just, he, oh, he just did like, speak truth to me. <laughs> he said, do you know that when Moses doubted his call to leadership, the Lord said to Moses, a professional shepherd, what is that in your hand? And Moses said, well, that's my staff, Lord. <laughs> and God told Moses that it was with his everyday shepherd's staff the only thing that he knew how to do and do well, it was with the staff in his hand that he was going to lead the people of Israel. And as I stood there playing my guitar and listening to him, he, he goes like this, he puts his hand on his hips and he looks at my guitar and he says, well, let me ask you, what is that in your hand? <laughs> so you guys, as we seek God's wisdom in discerning our calling and our purpose, don't be surprised at all if God ends up wanting to use you in the ways that you're already being used right now, the things that you're doing right now. As you actively serve Jesus in the church, try asking him if there's some way that he wants you to dig deeper still with what you may already be doing. You might be surprised 
how God uses you and how God spiritually empowers you by the Holy Spirit to accomplish his purpose for your life. And so guys, in conclusion, I want you to consider this twofold invitation. First, and I know that this is a big ask, are we willing to lose ourselves, to lose ourselves for Jesus' sake? Before we can investigate what our calling and our purpose is, we have to consider, are we willing to give up everything for God's sake and for his gospel? And I know that's a big ask, but it's a necessary step if we are to discern our calling in God's kingdom, I think. And Jesus gave everything for us, you know, uh, he, gave his, he gave everything for us so that we could be free. And like Shelley just preached from 2 Corinthians 5.14, she said, those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and was raised again, right? Are we willing to lose ourselves for the one who gave all for us? And secondly, if, uh, you know, if I could ask of you what Pastor Professor Jeff Tweeg, who has now gone on to be with the Lord, uh, asked me. He said, what is the staff, Marine Covenant Church, what is the staff in your hand? When you reflect on the unique ways that God has gifted and called you, what do you suspect that those things might be? Start there with your journey in that. What are your talents? What are your natural gifts to do and what comes naturally to you? And ask God if there's something related to your calling and purpose that God is calling you to look deeper into and that God might want to empower you to do for the sake of his kingdom. So as we seek to love our God who first loved us, as Christ reveals in us our deeper callings, our purposes, and what we are to do with them, church, receive this proclamation of Jesus' words from Matthew 10, 39. Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life For his sake, we'll find it. Amen. Thank you, Michael. Thank you, Shelly. I am just like overwhelmed with gratitude. I mean, as just a sister in Christ, a brother in Christ, his friend, I just love you both. I'm blown away and encouraged by your deep love for Christ and your love for the church. If we met at midwinter at a denominational gathering, I would just want to spend time with you and hear about what God is doing in your life and in your ministry. And yet we have the incredible good fortune that we get to share pastoral ministry together. You, I mean, what a gluttony of riches the Lord has just given us. Can you believe that we're inviting Michael Hill and Shelley Zulsdorf, these warm-hearted people who at their core love Jesus first, and are called to serve Jesus with all of who they are, to serve you, to join Pastor Danny and Pastor Courtney with Jeff and I to serve as pastors on, this, on, on our staff. I'm just overwhelmed and thankful. And I hope that you join us on, uh, on June 5th to um, express your affirmation and officially invite them to be pastors on staff. I'm just cannot, cannot wait. So that's going to be great. Um, I, I do... Um, well, two, two quick things. I just want, would love for you to, to understand the incredible gift it is to be called pastors. And you can hear in both their stories, it is, it is a weight. It is a calling by God to put on the mantle of Christ, to be long-suffering, to be the people that get to walk with you as you journey towards Christ with all the joys, with all the mourning, 
for the entire, wanting Jesus to do something right now and trusting Jesus for 85 years from now. I just hope that you see that in both Michael and Shelly, that their heart is for you and for our church and to celebrate that. Um, one other thing I did want to say is um, I would be remiss. I mean, our entire, you as a congregation, we as a whole church staff, I'm blown away at your maturity and the way that you long to know Christ. But for Shelly to fully embrace her call, Ben, I just want to say I love you and I'm thankful for your maturity and willingness to um, be generous because you are a godly man who was called by God to be a pastor who has all the chops in the world. And because of church polity and in this season, you are willing to, both of you, to discern your call in a way that allows you, Shelly, to step in this role and Ben to continue to grow in your chops as a worship leader and student pastor. And, uh, and just I'm thankful for your maturity um, in that as well. So I think we should get some snaps, snaps for, for Ben for that. So thank you. Okay. The very last thing, though, is I do want, I'm so thankful for them, but at the end of the day, this is about you. This is about you and your walk with Christ. And so there's like this entire Big Rocks um, series. There's a part that we as pastors are saying, we're going to commit to doing this. And I want to share this part with you. This is what we are committed to doing. Oh, boy. That monitor's not working, so I'm going to read from right here, <laughs> even my glasses. All right, so this is our part. That we as pastors, right, we're committed. I'm going to stand right here. There it is. We're committed to walking. Sorry, photo people. Um, We're committed to walking with you as you discern your unique calling and to empower you to activate it for the kingdom of God. That is it. We are sold out. We're going to walk with you. And we are blown away how so many of you are finding those callings. And we're going to do everything we can to fan in the flame. And I love both Michael and Shelly's story, but especially Michael, man, decades. It is decades um, thanks. Decades to go and do it. So keep running after it. So we are going to do our part. We're going to make all the space in the world to do that. And this is your part. Um, would you be willing to make space in your life? It actually takes time and effort to make space, to get rid of all the busyness, to hear from the Holy Spirit, to make space in your life for reflection on the unique ways that God has gifted you and called you and that you would own this calling and activate it for the kingdom of God. I love what Shelly said, that you are indispensable. God needs you. Without you fully being the woman or man that God has crafted you to be, the body of Christ is not functioning the way that it needs to function. And so would you make some space for reflection and you have an entire pastoral team and some incredible lay leaders who would love nothing more than to walk with you to discern your calling. So we really hope that you join us on June 5th. We're so thankful for the ways that God is just gifting us as a church and how incredible that we, as the body of Christ in Marin, get to activate our unique calling for the kingdom of God. And may all honor and glory be to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, both now and forevermore. Amen and amen. Let's stand together as we worship and surrender our lives over to Christ and give him all the honor and worship he's due.